Welcome to One Cause Church. Here is another inspirational message from Senior Pastor Eric Holler. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4. I thank my God always. Let's all say those words together. I thank my God always. That's why this message is entitled Forever Grateful. Because truly, it's not really all we can do. Look, what, look, look why Paul says this. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in everything by him. Are you catching this? Enriched in everything by him. Thank you so much. We now take a moment to pause to, for a commercial for One Cause Coffee. And this is where you can purchase this fantastic, stylish mug, be the conversation piece at the workplace, or wherever you fancy yourself. In this mug, I specifically have coffee, but you can put anything in your mug. Soup. Just make sure that you drink with your left hand so that everyone can see the logo. You can purchase these at $10 at our One Cause Church coffee shop. God bless you. Mm. Coffee tastes better in that mug. Verse 5, that you were enriched in everything in him, in all utterance and all knowledge. What does that mean, in all utterance and all knowledge? That means that he gives you all the things to think about and to experience a sound mind and gives you all the right words to say. Wow. Even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you so that you come short in no gift. That you come short in no gift. He wants you to experience all of his gifts. Eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 8. Who will also confirm you to the end that you may be blameless. Everybody say blameless. Blameless. When are you going to be blameless? In the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Otherwise known as bum bum ba judgment day. Now it is an ominous day, no doubt. Well, we are all going to give a face-to-face account of our life to him. But this says Jesus has done something marvelous for you about that day. And what he has done is so redeemed you and saved you and forgiven you that now on the day of judgment you can stand blameless. Oh, man, what can we say to that? Thank you. Thank you. We will forever be grateful because of this reality. Now, I've broken this down into three things I want you to focus on today and maybe throughout this week that keep you in a forever grateful kind of mindset, attitude, and talk. Number one, you are favored. Say that with me. I am favored. Number two, you are furnished. Say that. I am furnished. Not finished. Furnished. (laughs) And number three, you are faultless. Say, I am faultless. Favored, furnished, and faultless. What did you learn in church? We learned F words in church. (laughs) Charisma. The word gift is the Greek word charisma. 
It means a favor with which one receives without any merit of his own. We know grace is also defined as undeserved, unmerited, unearned favor from God. That's good news, isn't it? I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus. But I want to give you another definition of grace that we're going to focus on today. In this favor, and it's a shorter term, a shorter it's kind of the root word of charisma. It's the word charis, C-H-A-R-I-S. Now listen to this. It means the divine influence upon the heart and its reflection in the life, including gratitude. Now what that means is the right and natural response from you and I of our hearts that our heart has received the grace of God is gratitude. That's the reflection that his grace has influenced our hearts. That's his... That's... His influence, his favor has come to you. Why? Because that's what he wanted to give you. Grace is not you getting what you deserve. Grace is you getting what God wants you to have. Because that's who he is. And he is good. And he has chosen to favor you. But favor did come at a cost. Not any cost of your own. It came at a great cost. It took blood to get this favor to us. Pastor Carl talked about that this morning so eloquently with his shaven face. You know, there are times when you struggle. I know I personally have struggled at the truth of God's favor toward me. Because sometimes all you can think is, I don't deserve that. You know? You get caught up in this guilt and shame and the by what you've said and what you've done, the things you've thought about, all that kind of stuff. But that is not what gets favor to you. Favor comes because that's what he wants to give you. Amen. There was a great Christian gospel artist years ago who I listened to a lot as a kid. We had this certain album. Y'all remember records, right? It was Andre Crouch. Andre Crouch and his disciples, and they were doing a live concert from Carnegie Hall. I don't know if you've ever heard that album, but I highly recommend it. I think you can get it on Spotify now. But the song he's saying is, I don't know why Jesus loved me. I don't know why Jesus even cared. I don't know why he sacrificed his life. Oh, but I'm glad he did. I'm glad he did. And that blood was what God thought you were worth. As I've said this before, the value of something is determined mostly by what someone is willing to pay for it. And God deemed you so worthy of salvation that he paid a high price, the price of his own son's life, pouring out his precious, pristine blood to have you. You're so valuable to him. Jesus bled, his bleeding is so important for us to understand why Jesus bled in these certain places that he did. We've talked about this, but I just want to give you just a snapshot reminder because this is so encouraging. The first place Jesus bled, now it doesn't mention blood, but we know blood happens when this happens and is when he was eight days old when he was circumcised. That bleeding is important for us because Jesus, remember the circumcision happened because of Abraham. God told Abraham that he would have to circumcised himself and all the males in his house. And from that day forward, they would not look like the rest of the world. 
We know God had to come up with circumcision. What man in his right mind is going to think, I'll show my dedication to God through circumcision. Not this man. So we know that God was the one who did this. And there's a lot to it, and I'm not going to get into all the aspects of circumcision for the sake of time today. But it all had to do with, the scripture says that that circumcision was a seal or a sign of the righteousness which comes by faith. That's not what made him righteous, but it was a sign that now he was separated unto God. Abraham was made righteous by faith, just like we're made righteous by faith. But Paul says now, who is a Jew or who is one who is in covenant with God except he who is circumcised of the heart? You're circumcised of the heart when you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. But Jesus, being a Jew, had to be circumcised to come into that Abrahamic covenant so that he could, from that, usher in a new covenant to you and I. It's an important bleeding. The second place that we know that Jesus bled was in the Garden of Gethsemane. There's only one gospel account that tells us about that, but it happens to be the medical doctor, Luke, who tells us that while Jesus was in great agony in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even unto death. He sensed death coming upon him, and his physical body began to react in that way because it literally began to break down under the pressure of the sins of the world being transferred over onto this perfect lamb. He said, I'm dying. And the, and the word says that he became greatly distressed. The word distressed means mental anguish and anxiety and panic. He didn't, I mean, how does Jesus even rehearse for this? He's the resurrection and the life, and for the first time ever, 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 he senses death. And so he cries out to God, let this cup pass from me, because he knew he hadn't finished the work yet. He knew that there was still a cross that he had to hang on. He had had to get to that tree to become the curse that would free us to be blessed. He knew that all that had to happen. And so he's in this garden in agony, and he says, Father, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Don't make the mistake and don't buy into what religion has taught us through the years, century after century. This is where, I'm sorry, I have to use a religious kind of voice. This is where <laughs> Jesus identifies with our humanity and finally surrendering his will to the Father like we all must do. Nice. Here's the problem with that, though. Here's the problem with that. Jesus was not born with Adam's nature. Jesus was born with the Father's nature. He never had an issue with the will of God. He never wrestled with the will of God. He was in tune with the will of God. His issue came in this garden, knowing, as he said many times, that the Son of Man will be crucified. He'll be delivered over to the Romans. They will beat him. They will mock him. They will spit on him. And they will crucify him. But in three days, he'll be raised to life. Jesus already knew it. He talked about it all the time. The disciples were like, I mean, they weren't getting it. So he gets to the garden, and here's where he has a new experience. And that is, he knows death is imminent right here because his sweat, the, Luke, the physician Luke says, became like great drops of blood. Now, this is a condition that is most of the time terminal. Men or women 
who come under that kind of pressure where their capillaries literally begin to burst and blood comes out of their pores are either minutes or hours away from death. There have been very few who've survived. I mean, the name of that is like this long. I, don't, I couldn't tell you. Hemo something. And this is what Jesus went into. He's literally dying right here. And that's why he says, Father, I'm paraphrasing here, not my will, but your, if it's your will that I die here, then I, I'm surrendered to it. But I'm asking you for your help. And the Lord, the Father, helped strengthen him, sent angels to get him strong again, to get him out of that garden so that he could make it all the way to the cross and fully finish the work. He bled there, my family, so that you do not have to endure mental anguish. He bled there so that you can overcome anxieties and panic and all of those kinds of things that rob us, rob our thinking of and rob us of real peace and rob us of real joy. He bled for that. Today, I want you, if you're here today and you're, you're in some kind of mental anguish in your life, you're dealing with anxieties and your mind is constantly... Make this exchange with him. Say, Lord... You did that for me. Blood was shed for my mental peace. You've not given me a spirit of fear, but of power. Come on, help me. Of love and of a sound mind. Hallelujah. Man, I felt the Spirit of God just right there. Just, I think some of you are getting set free right now from that. I believe that. The next place Jesus bled was at the Roman scourge. Make no mistake, Jesus did not receive 39 lashes. That was what the Jews did. The Romans beat Jesus, and they didn't count. They didn't care how many times they hit a man. They were trained in torture, especially with that flagellum, what's called the Roman flagellum or the cat of nine tails, which was an instrument of torture like nothing else that had these long leather straps and weaved in those leather straps were all kinds of sharp objects. And they're trained in a way when they would beat their victim, they would tie his hands down like this so his back is completely exposed so that they could come down with all of their might with that Roman flagellum on the back. Come down twist their wrist in such a way that, that those sharp objects would stick into the skin and then rip the flesh off. Shreds of flesh come up. I mean, it's brutal. It's graphic. And this is the kind of beating Jesus went through. Many men died even there at the whipping post because of so much blood loss or organs exposed. Just beat a man within an inch of his life or sometimes took his whole life. And they didn't really care where they hit a man. History tells us that, that they would beat people and they would beat them around the face. Men's noses get ripped off by this Roman flagellum. I mean, it was awful. You know, Isaiah describes Jesus, says his visage, his image was so marred that they could not even recognize him as a man. Why would he, God in heaven, why would he go through such torture? Why would he do that? By his stripes, we are healed. So that you would be healed. He bears the marks. Every scar is a receipt that your healing is bought and paid for. You know what that means? It is always and forever will be 
God's will for you to be healed. Because in the same afternoon, blood was shed for your sins, for the forgiveness of your sins. Stripes were laid on his back for your healing. Just as assured as you are of his forgiveness, you can be assured for your healing. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. Who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Uh, That next place that Jesus bled was when, after they had scourged him, they brought him into... Uh, the praetorium, and it says that they stripped his clothes off of him and they wrapped him in this royal robe with, and they put a crown of thorns, they weaved a crown of thorns and they put it on his head and then they beat that crown of thorns down upon his head. And when blood poured out from his brow, from his head, that was on purpose because it was at that bleeding that God reversed the curse that he had pronounced to Adam after Adam had sinned. He said, cursed is the ground for your sake. Now it will yield thorns and thistles. And now you're going to have to work very hard to produce anything in this world by the sweat of your brow. But Jesus came to break that curse of poverty off of our lives. That curse of working, working, working and toiling and laboring just to produce something. No, he has come and he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. Hallelujah. Oh, what a favor. What a grace. And then ultimately at the cross, he died for our sins. And Galatians teaches us that cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Christ became a curse that the blessing of Abraham would come upon us, Gentiles, us on the outside, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. The Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that is, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. And on that cross, he became a curse. And there he broke the back of the curse of sin and death. And now he offers you from that tree... The spirit of life. Hmm? For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Amen. And so Ephesians chapter 2 teaches us where we were in in verses 11 and 12 that talks about how we were on the outside. We we had no covenant with God. We, We couldn't access the promises of God. We were without God. We were without Christ. And therefore, we were without hope in this world. But 2.13 says, but now in Christ Jesus, we've been brought near by the blood. Woo! Thank God for his favor. You are favored, highly favored, highly favored. So what do we do about this? Well, Hebrews 13 says, let us therefore continually 
continually offer up a sacrifice of praise. Come on, let's offer up a sacrifice of praise to him. Take a moment. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Lord, we are and forever will be grateful that you have favored us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Verse 5, that you were enriched in everything by him in all utterance and all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, that, so that you come short in no gift. Oh, man, he wants you to have all his gifts. He wants you to have all of them. Amen. Eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now you're furnished. That means you are well supplied. In him is the well supply. Amen. Because when you get Jesus, you get everything. Romans 8, 32 says how God, uh, he did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for all of us. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? Woo, he give you Jesus. You get all of it. You get all the goodness of God. Hallelujah. You know what I love about this Savior? He's never going to grow old. He's never going to wear out. Amen. He's a well that never runs dry. He's a river that just keeps on flowing into your life. Amen. Praise God. He is the fullness of the God. Listen to this. I'm just here. Just what some of the the writers of the scripture said, David, the great king of Israel said, you will show me the path of life and your presence is fullness of joy at your right hand. What's at the right hand? How did, how did faith, how did you write? The seated at the right hand son. The seated at the right hand. He's seated there at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. In other words, all the pleasures of life are found in that man, Jesus Christ. Woo! He's, he's the answer to all of our questions. He is the hope that is an anchor for our soul. Amen. John said, out of his fullness, his abundance, we have all received, all had a share, and we're all supplied with one grace after another, and spiritual blessing upon spiritual blessing, and even favor upon favor, and gift heaped upon gift. Peter said, as his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him. You know him, you know what all you get. Yeah. Amen. Right. Who called us by glory and virtue. Paul said, for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him. Right. Say that I am furnished. Amen. Verse 8, who will also confirm you to the end that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. And lastly, you are faultless. You are faultless. I'm really just beginning, I think, to understand this. And it's a new experience, and it's a deeper experience as a grandfather. One of my grandbabies is here. Our grandbaby, Tessa Rose, my Tessa Rose of Texas. And they, I love these, love these babies, and I love just how I feel about them. It's so different than the way I felt about my kids. I mean, I love my kids. I love them. And I, I, I didn't know, I heard these people tell me, uh, grandparents, you know, but I didn't, I, I didn't know what that was until. You just can't know until. And now I get it. I was telling the 930 service, I said, when I, but when I had my kids, now I'm looking at life in a, just a different way. And I'm learning something about myself as a father versus myself as a grandfather. As a father, I find that I was, I was a pretty impatient father. Because the weight of that responsibility comes in, and, and I'm thinking, i got to train them up in the way they should go. They, I've got to help them make the right choices in life. 
right? I want them to know to do right, to do good. So what does that mean? I got to do a lot of disciplining and a lot of correcting, right? And so I've found that, that many times I was more demanding than understanding. Hmm? But when these creatures showed up, all I want to do is understand them. I don't, want any, I don't have any demands on them. Matter of fact, when they cry, I'm not like, oh man, I got to get them to stop crying. I'm not annoyed by it at all. Right? I just, come kill puppy on about it. I'm just melting and all over them. What is it? Your mama, she don't feed you enough, does she? It's a whole different experience. I'm like, and now I understand. Like, I can remember looking at my dad like, you've lost your mind. I understand it now. Because it's almost like, can I, can I just get a little theological with this? Like my children of the first birth, the children of Adam, the sinful nature that I've got <laughs> to fix with good and but bad, or good and evil. But then the grandbabies, the second birth, it's just perfection. All I see is perfection. You can do no wrong whatsoever. See, this is how your heavenly father sees you. Through Jesus, you have been favored, furnished, and faultless now before him. Colossians says that you are holy, blameless, above reproach in his sight. Oh, God, we got to see ourselves like he sees us. Because you know what? He sees the real you. God is truth. He doesn't lie. So, wait, wait, wait a second. Lord, <laughs> you said, now I know in your sight I'm holy, blameless, and above reproach, but can I bring you down here to the real world? He's like, no, 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 I'm the real deal. Huh? Let me show you the real thing. Let me show you what Jesus has done for you. Because if God is still seeing your faults, if he's still seeing your failures, and he's still measuring his relationship with you by that, then Jesus didn't finish the work. He either took away all the sins of the world or he didn't. But God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself not holding their sins against them. Aren't you grateful? God got over it. You know what that means? You need to accept it and move on with your life. You need to move forward in this grace. You need to move forward in this. I want you to say this right now. I am faultless because of Jesus. See, this means that you are putting all your trust in him and not on yourself. Woo! That kind of takes the pressure off, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, that's what he came to do. He came to favor you, to furnish you, and to present you faultless before your God, so that on the day of Jesus Christ, you will stand blameless. John said it like this, love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for this wonderful time. Thank you. Thank you for your anointing here in this room today. Thank you for meeting us in such a sweet, precious, and powerful way today. As we have, remind, are reminded, have been reminded here of the, just what you went through. And why you went through it. It's one thing to know that Christ died, but to know that he died for our sins. That's a whole different understanding. 
Thank you that you died for my sins. Thank you that you died for our sins. Freeing us to not die from our sins. And they buried you in a tomb, but three days later, praise God, you rose from the dead, triumphant. You died for our sins and you were raised for us, ensuring that we will all be raised, that death will die, but we will live forever with our God. Thank you for the victory that we have in you. Thank you for your favor. Thank you that you have furnished us with every good thing in life. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And thank you, Lord, that we stand today faultless before our God, not by works of righteousness that we have done, but by your mercy. But by your mercy. Thank you, Lord. Can you go to G? Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. How great Thou art. How great Thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, How great Thou art, how great Thou art. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Let's stand together. Hallelujah. Now may the Lord bless you. And may the Lord keep you. And may He cause His face to shine upon you and all of your house and be gracious to you and give you peace. In Jesus' precious name, amen, amen. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. For more information about One Cause Church, please visit us online at onecausechurch.com.